everyone. Thank you for joining us. You are now tuned in to Trish Chat, a series that promotes meaningful dialogue around identity, culture, and real-life stories. We are your hosts, Steph and Jess, and everything you'll hear in our episodes are based on personal experiences. Make sure to tune in every Monday to hear our latest episodes. Hi, everybody. My name is Steph, and I am here with Jess. Today, we have a very special guest, Anna. Hi, everyone. Welcome, Anna. Um, We were introduced to Anna through a mutual friend when we first moved to the Bay Area, and we've been hanging out ever since. So we've had so many deep conversations with Anna, and we were like, come on the podcast. Let's let's talk. Anna's first podcast. Shout out. Yeah, shout out to you. (laughs) This is great. Yeah. Um, So we want to kick off the episode by introducing the concept of the gender unicorn. And the gender unicorn is a, a graphic um, or a framework that was created to help us understand and describe the spectrums of sexuality and of gender. And basically, a lot of the things that are covered in the gender, uh, the gender unicorn are gender identity, gender expression, the sex assigned at birth, who you're physically attracted to, and who you're emotionally attracted to, to help us dissect um, those areas. So. I think that it would be cool if we started by sort of going through the gender unicorn and and talking through like um, uh, what is your gender identity, what is your gender expression, who are you sexually attracted to, and who are you romantically attracted to. Cool. Do you want? How about you go first? You don't want to go first. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um, well, my gender identity is is female, um, and the way that I express that gender is in a very feminine way. Um, I think if we wanted to use labels that I am a lipstick lesbian, although I just learned the term chapstick lesbian and I'm like a little bit torn. I I'm think you're like between the two. I'm between. By definition. But I, I basically have like a passing privilege. So when you look at me, you, you don't assume that I'm gay. You, you assume that I'm straight. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm, I portray my gender in a very feminine way. Um, I am physically attracted to women and I am emotionally attracted to women. Cool. Uh, I guess I can go. Uh, Gender identity, female. Uh, Gender expression, I feel like I could fall in between. (laughs) Feminine and masculine, stuff likes calling me. What is it you call me? Oh, boy. Um, (laughs) I fall between, like... This is my personal opinion. I have a term called butch light, and so I think that at the very right of the spectrum, there is... uh, People like me who are super feminine in the way that they express their gender. All the way on the left of the spectrum, there are people who are very butch. And then there's a spot in the middle. And if you go a little bit left of the middle, that is what I call butch light. That's what you call your wife. That's what I call my wife. (laughs) And those are the type of women that I am attracted to. So that's that. (laughs) Um, Best explanation ever of my gender (laughs) expression. Uh, Sex assigned at birth, female, physically, and emotionally attracted to women. Anna, what about you? My gender identity is female. Um, I would say my gender expression is masculine. Um, mm-hmm. That has been an evolution for me, but mm-hmm. I have spent the past year or two exploring masculinity from yeah. a female perspective, and I enjoy that. Um, the sex I was assigned at birth is female. And I am both physically and emotionally deeply attracted <laughs> to women. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Such is my fate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Amazing. Um, cool. Uh, I think that's a good exercise, though. That is a... I like that exercise. Yeah. I think it's... Uh, we should just, like, every time we meet somebody, just have them fill that out. Yeah. Here you go. Please fill out this form. Yeah, I don't think that would work. That's and funny, it doesn't include, how do you have sex? Yeah. <laughs> true. It's so appropriate. Yes. It's nice. Yes. Yes. It's true. Yes. It's true. Touche. Um, so... I think I want to start by, I think we just talked about like our identities. I want to start by asking how do those identities impact your work life? Um, both when we think about those things individually, like your, your gender identity, um, your gender expression, and how does that impact when we combine those together? How does that impact your work life and your personal life? Yeah. Anna, would you like to start? Sure. Yeah. It's interesting to think about them both separately and together. Because I think we read and hear a lot about women in the workplace, mm-hmm. how we're uh, affected in different ways compared to men in the workplace. Um, and I think it's kind of tricky to put uh, gender expression on top of that that is yeah. deviant from the norm or what people would consider, consider female. Because yeah. I think in some ways... I have more privilege in the workplace than I used to because I have... Um, a more masculine energy or people might not immediately categorize me with other women, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I think it can also really go wrong mm-hmm. because of that. Yeah. And there can be a compounding effect of being in a room and saying, Oh, not only am I the only woman in this room, but I'm also the only queer woman in this room mm-hmm. yeah. or wow. I'm the only person in my office who doesn't dress according to what society would say is the gender norm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. They don't express their gender in that normative way. So I think it would be hard to list out all of it, but I think in a broad sense, it impacts how I am in the space. Yeah. I think it impacts um, how included or not I feel at work, you know, attending a women's event, but again, maybe you're the only woman who's uh, not normative and how do those spaces include us or exclude us? Mm. Um, And I think it affects how I think about who's not in the room um, and different perspectives that I have that I see other people don't pick up on. Um, And I think, too, I'm a consultant. I'm a strategy consultant. I mostly work in my office, but sometimes we travel, and it's something that I think about as well. Um, Being a woman in a certain industry or certain geographic area in the United States where there are just few represented or the expectations are youthful are different for you. And then because of my gender expression, um, traveling to those places and being in those places can be kind of complicated. Hmm. Yeah. I never thought about, um, when you go to, uh, events tailored towards women, if you, um, don't, if the way that you perform your gender isn't necessarily normative to what we think of women, how, how inclusive or not inclusive those spaces could be. And I guess that's my own bias in that I yeah. never I never thought about that because I never had to think about that. It's just it can be awkward. I think I yeah. one thing I always think about is I went to a final round interview for another consulting company and uh, there were three choices uh, of self-care options you could do before the interview. You could get a shave, um, you know, one of those hipster shaves. Oh yeah. You could get a blowout at a blow dry bar or you could go to spin class. Yeah. And I had to go to spin class and I don't do cardio, but 
you have to do one to appear social and cool mm-hmm. and normal, I thought, for the interview. And what they had chosen for women was just not something that, I mean, I have short hair. How are they going to yeah. blow out my hair? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's moments like that where I feel comfortable in those spaces. I was socialized as a woman. Many of my friends yeah. are women. I like to be in them. But sometimes I think it's awkward mm-hmm. um, based on where you do, where you go or what the activity is, you know? Yeah. That's so interesting that they had those three options. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> I filled out the comment form. You better believe me. <laughs> <laughs> you just, Let's unpack all these options. Yeah. You just didn't fit in any of those like boxes. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I, I don't know what I would have picked either yeah. out of all those. Well, also think if you're, if you're differently abled mm, and like yeah. you're, you're not going to get the shade, you're not going to get the blow dry, but you can't do the spinning. Yep. Yeah. What do you do? Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I everything that Anna said I would agree with. I mean, I think for me, my gender expression is the one that like impacts me the most uh, for the, everything Anna said. Um, it's also been an evolution for me to like figure out like what am I most comfortable with? Like mm-hmm. if you think back when you and I started dating, how I used to express my gender, it it, it didn't necessarily fit me. Like I was doing it because like that was just all I knew. Yeah. And then as I started gaining my confidence and trying new things, I think cutting my hair was like the biggest thing yeah. for me. Like yeah. mm-hmm. that was like a confidence builder. And I, the minute I did that, I was like, fuck this. I'm going to wear whatever the fuck I want, you know? Yeah. Um, and depending on where you work, I think that that can be challenging and awkward. Um, luckily where I work now, like I'm in the creative department. So what I wear is just like, I look like a hipster and like it's acceptable, but yeah. Had I done this at my first job on the trading floor, that wouldn't have worked. Nope. They would have, you know, looked at me weird. Um, but going back to like what Anna mentioned, like I remember at my uh, my last job when I was working um, in events at the uh, running organization, I'd have to go to a lot of big meetings with like NYPD, with the mayor's office, and yeah. like, you had to dress up. Um these big events and I just remember seeing all the females like doll themselves up in these dresses and do their makeup and have their hair blown out and I'm like I'm not gonna do that yeah right like I'm gonna wear some nice slacks a nice blazer top I'm gonna fucking own this shit but it makes you question how that's going to impact your experience that day and also like how am I going to be respected less because I don't perform the same gender expression as the straight women or the women that are more feminine yeah um so that was like a big internal conflict for me for a long time um until I cut my hair and then I just I don't know I it was just something about that that just allowed me to be free in a way that I've never felt before and then I remember you stopped wearing earrings and you were like I'm just gonna experiment with this and see like how I'm you know what it was you know what it was it was so I cut my hair, um, and we can talk about this. I get mistaken for a guy sometimes, yeah. right? If I have, like, my hat on and I'm, like, walking into a store. Um, and it's fine, whatever. At first it used to bother me, and then now I'm just like, whatever, dude. Like, I, I just can't. And it wasn't – in the, the times that it didn't happen, um, it's usually because I had earrings on. Some, some indicator to people yeah. that, like, oh, that person's female because, you know. So I was like, fuck it. I'm taking my earrings off. I haven't worn my earrings for fucking months just because I'm like, I'm not going to allow one thing to determine your gender, how people perceive your gender. Exactly. 
Yeah, exactly. I think it's worth noting for people who may not experience this, that this is a conversation you have to have internally, even when you are comfortable with your gender expression, which is how comfortable am I going to be versus how much am I going to conform and try and uh, fit the environment that I have to be in? Mm -hmm. And I think through the evolution of understanding my gender expression, I've come to know that nothing is more important than being comfortable in my own skin. That will mean that I show up best to the room, but I still have these conversations all the time with myself. Like I'm going to the client in Arkansas. I'm wearing a suit. I'm dressed almost identically to the man next to me. In fact, I'm wearing men's clothing. Mm -hmm. They say to each other, Oh, we should definitely put on ties. They pull a tie out of their bag. Well, I don't wear ties. Mm -hmm. Now I'm thinking to myself, am I going to look underdressed in this room? Mm -hmm. I turn to the woman next to me. She looks less, you know, business attire or whatever than I do. So I'm thinking to myself, am I okay? Am I not okay? But ultimately, I'm not going to wear something that makes me feel uncomfortable when I have to present in front of a board. Mm -hmm. So that's what I went with. But I think that this inner dialogue, not everyone faces it. Mm -hmm. And it's about a spectrum of comfort, but also acceptability or trying to remove friction from your experiences with other people or in different spaces. Absolutely. Yeah. What about you? I mean, do you, (laughs) does any of this like apply? No, I think I have a lot of privilege because of my gender expression. Yeah. Um, I don't, I think that people just assume like, the norm of me, like whatever they see as the norm, which is that I'm a cis straight female. But I think people's biases really come out around me because they say stuff that they think is going to be okay because they think that I am straight and then I'm going to let it pass. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I say this all the time. I get asked about my husband all the time mm-hmm. and it's gotten to the point where now I play games with people. Like before I used to be like, no, I have a wife, but now I'm like, and they're like, oh, so so you're married? Yeah. So, so how's your husband? I don't have a husband. And people are left to like guess, like, oh, if you don't have a husband, what do you have? And then I just stare at them like, yeah. what do you think? Yeah. Um, I've also been, I, when I worked at an agency, we were doing a, uh, you know, that gift exchange thing where you can steal gifts from people and like you have a number. Yeah. Um, and somebody got like a bedazzled uh, lanyard. And one of the guys was like, well, don't give it to, like, this person. Otherwise, they're going to think. And then he put his, like, wrist down, you know, like, to mm. show. And I was like, what does that mean? What does that What does that mean? And he was like, you know. And I was like, no, please tell me. What does it mean? And he was like, he, he kind of stayed quiet. And I was like, you're saying that men who are gay have to wear bedazzled things? Like, what, why do you think that? And so, like, I started questioning all of his assumptions. And he never did that again. But I, I don't ever think that that guy would have done the same thing around either one of you. Oh, no, probably right? not. Because people not. hide their, their like, biases and mm-hmm. they just, like, express them all out in front of me because they assumed different things of me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I remember, I remember this running joke with our friends when, like, we were going, uh, we were going to get married and people were like, oh, yes, you're going to wear a suit? And I was like, why, why would you think I would wear a suit? This is before I was even, like, playing with mm-hmm. my gender expression, yeah. right? Like, I was still very much on, like, the feminine side. Um, and I'd like joke about it, but then I started thinking like, they think that because we're in a same sex relationship, one of us has to be more masculine and it's like, it has to be that way. And then I started thinking, does it have to be that way? Well, but even, even if you're in a relationship and, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm more feminine and you have more masculine traits. Does that mean that because you have more, more masculine traits that you can't wear a dress? Right. Like why do we saying. have, why, why yeah. does femininity have to be associated with a dress? And let me tell you something. That's why I wore a fucking dress. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I wanted to prove a point. I wanted to, would I have been way more comfortable in a suit? Fuck yeah, I would have. <laughs> but I fucking owned the shit out of that dress and I looked awesome. And you I did. just wanted to be like, I can still be masculine and also rock a fucking dress and be yeah. confident in it. Like, nobody yes. knows. This is the first time I'm saying this. I know. I'm, I'm I didn't know that you wore a dress because of that. Steph's like, oh my God. <laughs> but that is why, because I wanted to own that, like, I can I can express express both. Yes. Um, but yeah. Yeah, nobody asked me if I'm going to wear a suit. Yeah. The fuck. <laughs> Rude. rude so rude i could rock a suit yeah i could rock a suit you could rock a yeah suit. of course you can um i think uh i guess the, the next question is um since you started your career have any of your identities changed or evolved in any ways and if so how i think jess you kind of touched on this already but i want you to talk about it again maybe anna you, do you want to start sure when i first started my career i was a teacher and though at the end of college, I had somewhat experimented with more of a tomboy look, and it's something that I've actually liked my whole life mm -hmm. at different moments in time, I was so uncomfortable about going to the classroom that I went for, you know, women's workwear, right? I, I did wear <laughs> pants because yeah. you got to bend down. You got to do yeah. a lot of stuff when you're in the classroom. It's dirty, whatever. Yeah. But I had all these sort of blouse things. Mm -hmm top with a ruffle yeah. sweater and part of that is because that's all I knew right. I knew how to go and shop for those items yeah. and I did it with my mom and mm -hmm. I knew that's what she was comfortable with too right and part of it was that um I wasn't sure how my sexuality would be perceived as mm. a teacher mm. people have weird fears about that as if I were going to ever talk about sex in my classroom mm -hmm. I would if I were a sex ed teacher, but I wasn't. So yeah. uh, I don't know where that fear comes from, but I wanted to be very neutral. Yeah. yeah. I found, though, when I got to the classroom that it was important to be available to students as a queer role model mm -hmm. if they needed me to be. Yeah. And so that shifted a little bit as I worked. I went to a school where then there was a uniform and I just wore a polo and slacks. So I think that matched more of my gender identity. But it was during business school that I became fed up with trying to conform or be comfortable uh, in a more feminine expression. And so when I went to go work full time as a consultant, it was almost exclusively in men's clothing. Mm -hmm. And so that was a big shift for me because I was also shifting into the corporate world mm -hmm. and shifting how people perceived me. And I had dressed mostly like that during my internship. And you experience things like going to the bathroom and people being surprised by you, um, which is very unnerving when you just joined the company. Right, uh, you right. want to just be able to go to the bathroom and now everyone knows me, but I know that would start happening again if new people came. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's interesting because I've, I've come into this identity more in my work role and it's kind of nice in that there's a bit of a uniform polo or button down yeah. and pants so mm -hmm. it's not that hard to mess up um right but it has been an interesting experience for sure yeah. and um you know recently I was profiled on my company's website and I have to think that 
it has to do with my background, but it also has to do with what I look like. Mm. Um, I'm a really good tell <laughs> for the company. Look, we hire people with this gender expression or identity. Mm. And How does that make you feel? Um, yeah, this is a whole broad topic, yeah. but I'm happy to be visible in a way that that doesn't tax me at any time. So yeah. I think that's kind of nice, but you have to wonder, I think everyone wonders maybe when they're selected for those things, yeah. why my bio on the website? Yeah. Right. Um, and I think I often just attribute it to that because I look around and there's no one else like me. So. Right. I feel that <laughs> it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of like a double-edged sword because you're like, okay, are you doing this because you want to be competitive in this space where now all companies are talking about diversity and inclusion. And if you're doing that, are you doing that because you just want to make sure that your name is appearing everywhere as a company? Or are you doing that because you're actively trying to hire different people? Yeah. And include them once they get there. And include them once they get there. Yeah. That's a tough one. And I don't think that most companies are equipped to do the latter, even if that's what they want to do. I think they just like bring all different types of people in and they're like, okay, you're here. Like you're good. You're good. You're in the room. You're in the room. That's good. Right. But you don't really have a seat at the table. Yeah. And and that's the one-on-one step right now is looking at any visual you put on your website, right? And yeah. any materials you use. How representative are these materials of the people we have and what do they say about our company? And so, you know, I appreciate it to some extent because recently I was in a room and they showed us the new leadership of our organization. We're merging with another part of the firm and it was all male. Mm. And I said to myself, someone just didn't even do the one-on-one check. Yeah. Just like glance over the faces and names right. and right. see if anything pops to you. But think sure. about who might have been looking through that, Right. right. Yeah, we tend to not notice the things that don't impact us. Hundred percent. Yeah, we're all guilty of that. And you wrote something interesting about like how you've evolved, and you mentioned like your mom and shopping, and that just like sparked something in me. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a deep well. <laughs> <laughs> it just like made me go down a rabbit hole. Um, but yeah, I guess that's where it starts, right? Like I just remember my mom taking me out shopping for like my first job or interview when I was like a teenager or something and like we went to where she shopped and like my my standard was just like all right my mom buys these types of things so I gotta wear these types of things or should do you're laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about about. um because she'd be like your mom bought you this didn't she it's like yeah um no offense like she dresses really no no she's great yeah my mother too yeah my mother is a very stylish yeah uh, no no i'm not you can just tell that you were not comfortable in those clothes yeah no i'm not i'm not shitting on anybody's style i'm just like you could tell the difference in like what i felt comfortable in versus not and so that that definitely uh followed me throughout my early career where I would go out and be like, okay, the ruffles, you said, you know, <laughs> like, let's, let's, <laughs> why, what function does that I don't serve know. on the shirt? I don't it's know. just flapping in the wind, <laughs> little ruffle collar. <laughs> it's like, the, it, they, they throw like the femme in the shirt. Like that's yeah. the way they have to do it. Um, and I still sometimes find myself like in stores being like, I need to have one of these shirts just in case I get like invited to something. And then, you know, I just, I hate that. Yeah. You know, I hate that I think that way. Um, and that's why I go through my closet and throw all this shit out now. But yes, uh, 
yeah, I wore a lot of that stuff in like the first maybe three years of my like adult career. Yeah. And then I slowly started playing around with my expression and being more comfortable again, going back to the haircut and just I'm like, no, I really like blazers. I like how I feel in them. I like how it looks. I, I still like wearing like tight pants, but I want to style them with like maybe a baggier shirt and like yeah. things like that where I was really playing around with how I felt comfortable. Um to now that I just, yeah, I look like I'm spit out of a Brooklyn Williamsburg magazine, but Seriously. I'm, so, but that's what <laughs> I'm comfortable in. Like I, I, I love looking at myself in that because I'm happy with the pro. Like I did this. I'm not following anyone else's like guidance. Like I walk into a store and I'm like, I'm gonna buy this because I like it, not yeah. because somebody told me that's the way you have to dress. Yeah, you know. Um, so it's definitely evolved, and I'm sure it's gonna continue evolving. Um throughout my life what about you I know you had a lot of ruffles listen <laughs> I had a very feminine gender expression when I first started working if that's even possible no yeah stuff was like, like in dresses or skirts I yeah I wore dresses mm. and skirts all the time really high heels my first job out of college was in a catholic school which is a whole nother episode on its own yeah I worked in marketing and development for them and my office was on the fourth floor of a walk-up, and I wore my little heels every day. You were not little. You wore heels. Up and down the stairs, up and down the stairs, Less going heels. into classrooms, going after students, up up and down, up and down with, with my heels. Then I worked at a network of charter schools, and I still like wore my dresses, my heels. And I think I it was working in tech that I stopped wearing that stuff because I was I questioned, like, why do I feel like I have to wear heels? I love wearing heels. I enjoy heels. I enjoy like different different colorful heels, like different shapes of heels. I really enjoy that. But it doesn't necessarily help me do my job any better. And so for me it's like why why am I wearing this if it's not necessarily helping me in my role? It's actually slowing me down because I can't walk as fast. I'm tired of kangle down the stairs. Like I'm just I'm exhausted and it like really fucks up your body when you wear heels um for those long periods of time so now I just I wear whatever I'm comfortable in which is still very feminine in in the expression but it's way less feminine than what I wore before like I don't think I have worn a dress to work in so long and if I do it's like usually like a loose flowy comfortable dress but before I was like it's like really did you did you learn to like wear dresses and stuff from like your mom or like someone at home or was that something you like craved at the time I mean my mom didn't work jobs where you dressed up like my mom worked when she first came to the to the United States she worked in a factory mm-hmm. making folders and then she always worked cleaning jobs like yeah. at companies so she never she always wore like like loose clothes loose shirts she needed to be comfortable and like in you know comfortable shoes she did enjoy wearing like a dress here and there but my mom was never about wearing high heels um I think when I was younger she was more feminine in her gender expression so I would like put on her heels I always looked at her makeup and I was like I want some makeup yeah um, that never happened I don't wear makeup um, <laughs> but so where did what do you think that came from I think society in terms of me looking around and seeing like what are what do women in the workplace wear? Yeah. Um, and when you go into environments that have, particularly environments that have a dress code, 
where you have to wear um, like business formal type of yeah. gear or like when you're going into client meetings and stuff. Yeah. And you see that men are wearing a suit with a tie and women are typically wearing a dress mm-hmm. or a skirt and heels. And if they're wearing pants, it's not even long pants. It's always ankle pants that are tight yeah. and like the highest heels possible. You're like, okay, this is what I need to wear. This is the this is the dress code and this is yeah. what I need to put on. Makeup all over the place. Makeup is the one thing that I never kind of adapted to. I wear it once in a while, but I also don't know how to do makeup. So, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. Here's a question for you about tech. Do you feel like it limits people who have a more feminine gender expression, the environment at all? I mean, I know you said you know yeah. heels don't help you do your job. Yeah, makes sense. You have to walk around a lot. Can you? Mm-hmm. Um, but would would people look at someone weird at your company if they came in and, and something a little bit more feminine or um I I work in the sales org, so I think that um there's like it runs the gamut in terms of what people wear. Like no one ever comes in extremely casual. Um but I have seen a lot of people wearing like heels whenever they want or like a dress or just like dressing up a little bit more than like what would you consider casual? I don't know what that would be like in the engineering org. I can imagine that for a person who is incredibly, uh, has a very feminine gender expression, if they wanted to wear um, makeup and heels, um, I think that might be difficult because I have seen that, you know, in the engineering org, they tend to be like very, 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 very casual. Um, So I think that might be uncomfortable for them or very limiting, but I wouldn't say that that's the case in the, um, like the general business. Yeah, same. Or what about you? Yeah, same. same. I think that, I think I find myself making assumptions when, uh, in this case, women, people who identify as women, dress up at Intech. Just because yeah. I'm always like, oh, they must have something nice to go to. You're like, oh, you're interviewing, huh? Yeah, yeah like, <laughs> you know, I, I don't ever say that to them. Um, but, I'm just trying to think. There are women at the office that do express themselves more feminine, more so than not, um, but never to like the extreme. Um, so, yeah, I think the majority in the tech space is like the culture. This kind of it's very casual. It, it for it not that it forces you, but you people are just like, oh, it's casual. So like, I'm gonna go with that. Yeah, it's the uniform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a way, for sure. So. My second to last question is, um, have you ever experienced discrimination in the workplace because of your gender identities? And have you ever experienced microaggressions because of those identities? Hmm. It was hard for me when I thought about this question because I don't think one thing stands out. Mm -hmm. I think I've been very fortunate um, and I saw a ton of privilege. And so I don't think I've really experienced a ton of discrimination in the workplace. Outside of the workplace is a different question. Uh, yeah. but I think the first thing I thought about was feedback. I think that I receive very gendered feedback. Mm. Um, I have been told that I'm not nice enough and then told that I'm too nice. Hmm. Wow. Which is pretty abstract when you come down to it. And also stylistic. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And it's something that I'm thinking about a lot these days because I am a pretty straightforward person, yeah. but I like to have pleasant interactions and sometimes it's been more actionable. Like when we're interviewing experts, we pay them a ton of money mm-hmm. and you're supposed to just cut them off if they're not mm-hmm. answering the question in the way that is helpful to you. And yeah. so that is a growth area for me because I have not really been uh, shown how to cut people off or not make space for them in a room. And so when you're interviewing someone, okay, that's helpful. But I've had some clashes um, and I've had mostly male managers. And sometimes it's, you know, my attitude could have a more um, sort of yes person type attitude. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, needs to talk more in the room. You know, mm-hmm. you hear your voice more in the meetings. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I find yeah. myself walking a very stereotypical gendered line in that sense. And while it's not discrimination, well, it will be if it affects my career trajectory and things mm-hmm. like that, yeah. I believe. It is just another thing mm-hmm. to deal with mm-hmm. um, that is unpleasant. Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, the bathroom thing is real. Yeah. Um, I'm happy we just moved offices. We have a gender-neutral bathroom. But that wasn't in the plans until I was in the room. Mm. And luckily, I was available for one of the meetings. So I just happened to pop in when they were designing the space. I searched the plan quickly, and I realized there's no gender-neutral bathroom. And that was annoying for me when I interned there because, as I said, people were kind of weirded out by me, and I don't always feel comfortable in the women's room because of that because of their discomfort, let's be clear. Yeah. I like to use the women's restroom, right. but people react to me in such a way where it is unpleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was hard because, again, while no one faulted me for saying, hey, I really think we should have a gender-neutral bathroom, yeah, you have to really think in corporate situations, how are you using the power that you accumulate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who do you have ties to? And luckily, I had some great allies who carried that forward for me and made it happen. We're mm-hmm. on the committee. But I worry about those things because every time you stick your neck out for something that is attached to your own identity, you have less credibility just because people think, oh, it's just for you or yeah. whatever. And you're spending some of that capital that you've accrued. Yeah. So I just want to bring that up because while it's not discrimination or a microaggression in a sense... It is an additional burden of expressing my identity in the way that I do in the workplace and caring about other people's, Yeah. you know, because I look around and I think this is still not a great environment for someone with a different gender identity even than mine. And so I'm trying to think ahead to that person and yeah. what might be helpful. I think there are definitely microaggressions, though. People say the stupidest stuff to me. Yeah. Um, not in a mean way, just, you know. Anything you want to share? I think just about identity and how they dress and, I don't know, being left out of some conversations, being included in mm-hmm. some. And it's hard to think of just one, but, yeah. um, you know, for example, there's a women's recruiting event that's a really big deal, which I went to, and... Um, they always give them a bag and, you know, they were calling all these women over to look at the bag and see what they thought the design, but they didn't call me over. Mm. And 
that's fine. You can't call over the whole office, but it does feel weird because there are certainly, I would hope other women with my expression at this event and my, my opinion is still a valid opinion and it's just a small thing, but those things add up Mm -hmm. to where you think, okay, you know, luckily there are a few younger people I work with one to do who sort of have a similar expression to me now, but otherwise you end up kind of feeling on an Island. Yeah. And again, not a microaggression necessarily. It's just, yeah, I think it's another thing to deal with. Yep. Yeah, that's real. Um, I guess for me, and I've mentioned this in other episodes, it, it comes down to, It's usually when I see the discrimination or these like microaggressions or biases, it's it's normally when I'm in a meeting space with men and I'm like one to two of like the women in the room. Yeah. Um, and it happens all the time where we're meeting with an external person or someone higher up or someone who doesn't know enough about the project or me or the people, um, or even if they do, they always direct their questions to the men. Mm-hmm. They always direct their questions to like my peer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's happened my whole entire life. And, you know, you talk about like feedback and stuff. So I've gotten like, you're too curt. You're too, you're not assertive enough. Um, <laughs> you're too assertive. Like, and it's, it's been to the point where it's an internal conflict for me. Cause I always have to walk in and be like, all right, who, who do I need to be in this meeting? Because it, it's not the same person I have to be in the next one. Yeah. It depends on the people, right? So I have to change the way I am to make everyone else feel comfortable and to get shit done. Um, and that makes me mad because I want to stay authentic. But yeah. I also know that I need to play the game in order to get things done. And so, you know, we talk about allyship and how important that is. It takes the people with the privilege in the room to call those things out because yes. if I call it out about me, right. Well, how, what does that look like? It's defensive. Yeah. Right. If someone is like asking the male in the room about my project, what does it look like if I'm like, actually I'm the lead for that project. You can direct all your questions to me. I have to say that in a specific type of way. Right. And I have to a certain extent, but it comes off better. If my peer who's getting the question is like, Hey, great question. Jess is actually the lead on this project totally owns all of this and is very capable of answering your questions and those are the moments where like I don't want that person to save me but I also understand that like that's something power there's that's something that has to be done right Mm -hmm. and so I um I'm so grateful for the people that do that the paymons the rose of the world um Shout shout out to them um because that does happen and it's been my whole career. Like yeah. it, it, it happened like two weeks ago and I'm just like, man, I think I'm just so used to it that I, I just kind of go in there jaded and be like, all right, let's see like what, what's going to happen in this meeting. But, um, yeah, I think a lot of what Anna said is like very similar to, to my experience, um, as far as like discrimination and any of that stuff. Yeah. What about you, babe? Um, I think that because my gender expression is very feminine, I think that I get a lot of the microaggressions that women tend to get. Like I get cut off a lot. Mm. Um, If I like share like a 
an analysis. I've had people ask me, like, you know how to use the formulas, right? Like, on... I'm like, look at the fucking formula. It's correct. I know. Yeah. Um, or like when you're when you do something like it gets questioned more than it would like of a um, of a male counterpart. So I've definitely experienced that. Um, and then, well, I guess most of the microaggressions that I experience come from uh, my my ethnic background and the fact that I'm. You can visibly tell that I am not white you can tell that i am black or latinx um so i think most of the microaggressions that are experienced are because of that um you can't look at me and see that i'm that i'm gay i hate saying that because like what the fuck does that even mean but mm -hmm. we people have stereotypes in their minds and so when they look at me they just assume that i'm straight so i, I don't i don't face a lot of discrimination um because of that but it's because i have that privilege right for sure it just okay. needs to stop. It just needs to stop. Stop asking me about husbands. It, it's just, it has so much to do with assumptions. Yeah. And yes, to a certain extent, our brains work well because we make lots of assumptions based on past experience. It cuts down yeah. on our process at any time. It's not that hard to change your base assumption, though, with simple interactions with people in the workplace. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing someone is a really easy question to ask instead of, do you have a husband? Right. Right. You know? Yeah. You owe you the spouse. You know, what are they like? What do they do? <clears throat> Easy. Yeah. Easy. Easy peasy. For sure. Uh, last question is, how can we make workplaces um, a better environment for, I would say specifically for people who um, their, their gender expression isn't necessarily uh, tied to their gender identity. Um, how can we make the workplace a, a better space for them? And in general, for the LGBTQ community, because it is Pride Month. Woo. And we want to talk about that. Yeah. Shout out to everyone for Pride. Yes. <laughs> Feeling proud. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is a great one. And I think part of, we've discussed this a little bit already, but part of this question always has to be, how much of the burden for inclusion are you going to place on the people with those identities? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Your answer as someone in HR or leadership should be as little as possible. That is an easy framework. Mm -hmm. Lots of us, let's just say, in the LGBT universe care about our community. We want to be a role model for someone, maybe the role model we didn't have when we were first entering the career force. Mm. But not everyone does. Mm -hmm. Not everyone has enough privilege in other areas to do that or yeah. time or energy. It's not everyone's first priority mm -hmm. right. and it shouldn't have to be. Mm -hmm. um, and so I really, I would just like to frame this conversation by saying you need to think about, yes, what are the steps you can take, but also who will do them? Yes. Who will see them through? Who will repeat them? Who will yeah. take on that burden? Because I didn't fully experience this until I went to business school, which was a really limited environment in terms of expression and opened up me up to many careers that are also very <laughs> limited. But that is so tiring. That work is tiring. Yeah. And um, it can really saddle you with a lot of extra responsibilities, drains on your time, especially if internally you're already having to navigate, what am I going to wear today? 
Yeah. I wonder if I can use the restroom at my workplace safely. Yep. I wonder if my client is going to hate me. All these things yep. already are baggage and they're invisible mm-hmm. to people who don't have that experience. And so that's what I like to think about. And that's why I am really intent on structures that are supported, that have KPIs behind them, yep. that ha- have someone who is in charge of reporting out yep. cross-functional because um, just like anything you actually care about in the workplace, <laughs> you need to set it up for success. Correct. You know, and you need to not put it, you would not put uh, your financial calculations on a random human who like maybe studied accounting just because right yeah that's too important it's not a party planning committee like it needs to be bigger and like everything you just said yeah yeah 100% I I would disagree to everything Anna just said that's so important I yeah I 1000% agree and I think about it working in a sales organization um where I had mentioned in one of the other episodes that when I talk to my clients, like you have to make small talk with your clients when you work in sales, you have to get to know them. Um, and I always ask about their weekends, but when they ask me about mine, I I'm very brief and like very high level about it because I feel unsafe coming out to my clients. Like how would that impact my career if, if they're not okay with it and they're homophobic? And I don't think that the companies that I have worked for, have something in place that details or has a, a process for dealing with what if your client is homophobic and you're gay? Like, how do you, how do you, how do you process that? Like, if you have to get moved off of that client, how can you do so in a way that your, your career trajectory isn't impacted? It, it makes me think of this experience. I had my first case full-time when I joined this company um, was with a client in Arkansas and I didn't want to stereotype or assume that that would be a more difficult environment for me, but I was concerned. And while I talked about it a little bit with my manager at the time, um, who also had his own concerns for different reasons, it would be nice if there was a structure where they could just say, hey, here's the client, Um, you know, here are some things to watch out for. I know you might be concerned. Mm-hmm. Things like dress code were really concerning to me at that yeah. time. And I kept trying to sort of ask it in different ways mm-hmm. without having to say, hey, I'm, I'm a lesbian who yeah. <laughs> wears men's clothing. What do you think I should wear to this? Yeah. And that is so awkward. Mm-hmm. And it would have been nice if, like you said, there was just this formulaic way of saying, hey, here are suggested clothing items for everyone on this trip provide a range you know what I mean yeah um here are some reasons you don't have to be concerned here are some just things that are happening in the environment yeah it's not that hard yeah and you have to know I mean these these companies will tell you you're fine of course we'll always be on your side but this is a client first business right the client gets what the client wants so you have to know that there is a system in place to protect you Mm -hmm. and I still don't really know that yeah. yeah, that's real. And it's nice. We live in California, for example. Yeah. So again, there are some workplace protections built in. If I face discrimination for my gender identity, I know that the state has my back, mm-hmm. yeah. but not everyone's experiencing that. And so it's pretty straightforward for managers to think about these situations when they get someone new on their team and just say to them, 
Hey, I'm your manager. My pronouns are she, her, hers. What pronouns do you use? Awesome. Is Are there any questions you have about our workspace or any way we can make you more comfortable? That's yeah. amazing. What about yeah. that? That kind of rolls off the tongue. There you go. I and think... someone could be like, what are you talking about pronouns? Like, I'm obviously, you know, yeah. whatever, and reject it. That's fine. I think you have. No loss to you. <laughs> yeah. I think you should pitch that. But we don't have that, you know. We don't have that. I think because people don't, they don't think about the things that they're not impacted by. Yeah. Um, and it's just like how you talk about certain things that happen to you and people are like, oh my God, I can't believe <laughs> that. And you're like, seriously, you can't believe that? It happens all the time. I think they're, thinking about I think it. they're more concerned of like, wow, how do you go through that every single yeah. day? Because people don't imagine that. Right. Right. But I think it's also the idea that in the workplace, we tend to think about um, how can we make the space more inclusive when someone who is quote unquote different enters, right? And so then it becomes like a burden on that person because it, it you make them feel like you are overexerting yourself to make the space comfortable for them. But it's like, no, 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 this space should have been comfortable for me from the beginning. Yeah. Most accommodations, I'm only saying that because my my impulse was to say all accommodations, but most accommodations don't make anyone else uncomfortable or make things harder for other people. No, they don't. Uh, most people I know don't mind going into a single stall restroom. It's kind of private and nice. Mm. Yeah. Uh, for example. Yeah. And, um, and so making these adjustments is, is not hard. You just have to make them and have them in place and have someone, you know, not have to, for example, I just had to take time out of my work day to talk to a new intern who's based in Boston and saw the same stuff I saw, the completely straight leadership and mm. completely straight normative people talking to them and freaked out. Mm. And again, I'm happy to talk to this person, but I had to get connected to them through phone tag. And it's like, have something in place. Mm. Recognize that this person coming into this orientation is not going to feel welcomed. Mm-hmm. You know, and not have to play phone tag and I have to text this person and I have to take time out of my day. And again, I was happy to do it. I've learned to say no when I'm not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's so inefficient. We lost money on that. Let's just put it in a capitalist expression. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they could have just put up a slide with some explanations. Right. You know, and, and made things better for them. But it's also that emotional labor that mm. that people mm-hmm. perform at work and it's really irritating because we spend so much time making people who look like us have to feel comfortable because nobody else is doing that work, spending a lot of time building awareness for the people who don't look like us um, or who are not like us. And at the end of the day, when people are, their performance is evaluated, it's strictly based on the core project. But I'm like, no, 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 no. I spent all this time trying to make this company a better place mm-hmm. so that you can hire people who are going to bring in experience and skills and 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 experiences that are different and are going to make this team more successful i did that work for you yes yeah so where my money at (laughs) why aren't you getting paid for that our local office dni committee is all female um all women of color besides me and mostly queer And so you think about who's doing the work in these organizations and 
all of the people on my committee are facing some of the biases and microaggressions we've talked about on this podcast. And then they're doing this additional labor. Yeah. You know, and it's nice in some ways because it's more of an, an environment. We all feel good. We can talk about things very There's frankly. Extra time, extra time, extra work. Uh, then we have to carry out every one of these initiatives and they are attached to our names. And it's dangerous sometimes in the workplace because some people who are in leadership may not like it. Mm -hmm. But it's like speaking a different language. It's a skill, right? You're getting into like, we're paying engineers and people to like code because they know these languages and it helps make the business successful, but this should be seen as the same. Making it, it, it is, but no one wants to pay for it. No, exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. They're they paying just, for yeah. these other hard skills, but they're not looking at this as like what it needs to be, going back to like setting KPIs and all that yeah. towards this. Yeah. Completely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. We measure hard things all the time. You know, I, I'm at a place where I just can't take excuses anymore because – I, again, I work in strategy consulting. We yeah. would say to you, we take the toughest questions our clients can't answer, and we answer it for them. Let me give you a really easy question. <laughs> How can we accommodate this poor one intern who's going to feel real lonely? Like, that shouldn't then be reverted to someone's side task and only yeah. the person with that same identity. Right. If you could answer that question right. with whatever, billions of dollars attached to it, I'm pretty sure you can answer this one, too. It's just not a priority. No. No, for sure. Yeah. And I would say allies. Yeah. You know, one really good practice if you don't know something and Google didn't help you, ask the person of that identity when you reach out to them, do you have time for this? Yeah. Someone did this for me the other day. Shout out to Sasha. She texted me and she said, I have some questions about LGBT stuff and management. Do you have space for this today? Um, do you have, and I understand if you don't, mm-hmm. and I was like, do I have space for this? Yeah. That's amazing. Let me yeah. see. Yes, I do. <laughs> I'll talk to you when I get home and thank you for reaching out. Yeah. And that just completely shifted the interaction for me. Just the approach. Yeah. Because we provide a lot of free education and emotional support to people all the time. Yeah. But I think that if an ally is listening, I know you are, take that away with you. Just recognize that it is, there's a cost. Yeah. Um, and it's really awkward for us to say no, unless you give us that opportunity. Yeah. That's so true. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Sasha. Yes. Shout out to Sasha. We just got to end with that because that is, that's, that's perfect. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Um, Anna, if people wanted to connect with you, find you, where can they do that? Um, I love Instagram and <laughs> shout out to Instagram. And um, I have a profile I'm working on right now, a sort of an experiment. It's called Feeling Mask, M A S C. And it's where I post photos of myself doing things that make me feel mask. It's kind of a joke about masculinity, like yeah. mowing the lawn mm-hmm. um, or drinking something sort of frilly, which maybe some people don't think is masculine. Yeah. And so. I'm working on that, so feel free to follow that Instagram, Amazing. Feeling Mask. I love um, it. And would love to connect with anyone through that. Yeah, we'll add that to the post. Yeah, we'll add that to the post. Um, Anna, thank you so much for joining us. This yeah. was so fun, so yeah. insightful. I'm so happy this was your first podcast. I I'm know. Best. Thank I'm you so sure much. It's one of many. We'll definitely yes. have Anna back. There's so many topics we still want to talk about. <laughs> we, we definitely go off on a um a tangent when we're together talking about everything so thank you very much thank Um, you both 
I guess till next time. Bye, everybody. Peace.